Okay, well, this is the last session on Malachi. Are we going to have a party afterwards? <laughs> a Malachi party. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's turn to Malachi chapter 3. And uh, we're going to finish off chapter 4. It's a short chapter, but uh, we, we left a few verses in chapter 3 that were undone. So I'm wondering if somebody could read from chapter 3, verse 13, to verse 15, the end of chapter 3. That's, that's, Okay, so once again in verse 13, we have this familiar kind of, of uh, uh, discussion between uh, man and God. Uh, that's how Malachi presents the, all of the, these issues that, he, that are going on uh, in, in Israel and especially with the priests. And uh, God makes a, a statement. And they reply, and then God explains what he means by it. And these statements that God is making are generally condemnations of their behavior. So, can you remember some of the condemnations, some of the things, some of the indictments that God made against uh, the, uh, the priests and against the children of Israel? Okay, they were robbing God. They, were put, they weren't putting the tithes in the storehouses. Another one? The intermarriage with the outside of the uh, Israel. Inter, right. Inter, and coupled with that one was... What was? Divorcing, right. Easy divorce, right. They were being careless about the, the whole issue of divorce. So that whole idea of marriage... Uh, was being polluted by the by the priests and by the people. Another one. That's right. They were bringing imperfect, uh, diseased, sick animals uh, for for sacrifice. Okay. We're, we're, I'm sure you're right. Ah, that's that's right. Right at, at the end of, uh, in the middle of chapter three, verse five. That's right. They were being uh, uh, unfair in 
giving judgments because the priests did act as as judges in many parts of the land, and so um, they were being unfair in their their uh, judgment of the people. And they were teaching false concepts. false concepts about God. So lots of troubles, okay, lots of troubles. And uh, this one, in this one, in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, you've said harsh things against me. So as if the other things weren't harsh, <laughs> what, is the, what is the God saying here? Uh, is the thing that really disturbs them. What's, what's the harsh thing that they're saying? Yes. Okay. They, 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 any other thought on that? Okay, that's true. They seem to be switching what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Um, because they said, um, now we call the Aaron is blessed. Yes. And the Eden who is prosperous. So they seem to be, um, maybe accusing God of, of not um, judging the people when, when uh, there's sin. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point of serving God? And, and notice what they said in verse 14. What did we gain? So what are they looking at? They want God to be able to be serving them. Absolutely. But, you know, God, come on, we, we, uh, we work for you. Uh, where's, the, where's the returns? All right. And uh, we don't see the returns coming. In fact, who seems to be getting the returns? Evil. The evil people, all right? The arrogant people, and they seem to be the ones that are getting blessed. And, and here we are pouring out our hearts at the altar. We go about like mourners, and, and uh, uh, we pray for good things to happen, and good things aren't happening. So... What would you call this behavior? What would you call it? Defiance. Could be defiance. Yeah. Sinful. It's sinful, certainly sinful. Any other word? They were being disobedient. Self-centered. Yeah. Self-centered. All of those. All of those. Uh, Some of us are parents, and um, we've had to endure this kind of talk from our kids. All right. And I suppose when I was a kid, my parents had to endure this kind of talk uh, from me. And it's, it's the idea of grumbling and complaining about your lot. It's the idea of, of saying, you know what? We're behaving. Why don't we get to go to Disneyland? Uh, we're we're being good kids. Uh, why don't we? Why don't we get a pizza tonight? And uh, 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 so why do we have to do this? Why do we have to go to Sunday school? Why do we have to take to sit in the back seat and behave ourselves 
during, during rush hour when dad's distracted with the driving. Why, 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 why? You see? And we grumble and we complain about our lot. Johnny next door got a new toy. Why don't, why don't I get a new toy? Johnny wasn't as good as me. It is, a, it is a sense of entitlement, absolutely. Yeah. Now, surely we don't sin this sin today, right? <laughs> surely, surely this is a sin that is, uh, we've graduated from this. We don't do this anymore. You know, it doesn't apply to us. You see, the children of Israel complained in the desert. The children of Israel murmured against God in the desert. They grumbled about their lot. Why do we have to keep eating this manna? Why don't we get a better uh, food deal than the manna? Uh, we had better food to eat back in Egypt. And uh, they, they were grumbling and complaining. And God says, these are harsh words against me. In what way would... What, what, is God taking this too seriously? In what way is this harshness? God says you're saying harsh words against me. In what sense are they rejecting him? His commands, okay. They're rejecting his commands, but... Yeah, they, they loved Egypt, and they went back and they worshipped the, the idols of Egypt. That's true. Yeah. They keep forgetting how God, how God has released them out of slaves, slavery, and all that. And they just, like you said, complain and complain. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. It says... It says this, and do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angels. Wow. God doesn't like grumbling. God doesn't like complaining, right? And certainly they were taking offense to you know, God, the way God was exercising justice in the land. But you see, even more, they were, they were forgetting God's loving kindness. They were forgetting all the blessings that God had given them. I think if I was an Israelite, I would probably succumb to the same sins, but one thing that puzzles me is that they took for granted the fact that in the center of the camp was this miracle that was going on morning, noon, and night. What was that? At God's presence with the cloud. Now, what, what, what was the benefit of a cloud in the desert? Protect, for, protection from what? Sun. Protection from the sun. When, when you're in the desert, you want, you want a cloud because it's hot in the desert. Just think, by day, they were getting air conditioning because there was a cloud over them all the time. And by night, you see, what happens in the desert at night? It becomes really cold, even down in the, in the Phoenix Desert, you see, when, uh, even though it's hot in the day, it's cold at night. 
and you got to put a sweater on, you got to put a jacket on at night because it drops, it doesn't hold the, the heat. And so what were they getting at night? They were getting this fire. It, they, all, all, of the, all of the whole camp was insulated, morning, noon, and night. See, And they were getting their food provided for, they didn't have to work for it. And uh, uh, they were getting divine protection from their enemies. And they complained. They complained. See, that, that was the attitude that was galling to God's heart. It's, it's a lack of thankfulness for what you have, and then you start carping about what you don't have. And that is an offense to God. That's why he said, you've said these harsh things against me. But notice there were a few people who weren't complaining. And I wonder what they were doing instead. Look at verse 16. Uh, it says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So this was perhaps a minority in the, the nation. These were the faithful people. These were what's called the remnant, the people who still uh, uh, were, were uh, uh, followers of God. And what, what, was, what was their behaviors? What, 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 what is said about them in this verse? What did they do? All right. Uh, who's, who's writing the scroll? Who do you think is writing the scroll here? Any thoughts? A scroll of remembrance. I think it's God, isn't it? Okay. Some think it's uh, Malachi. Some think it's the people. Some think it's God. Who? who? Any votes here? Does God write scrolls? <laughs> yeah, we know he wrote on tablets. Yeah. You know, God does a lot of writing. Uh, it's it, it says in in um, in Revelation chapter twenty that when the when the dead stand before God, the books will be opened. The books will be open, and the, and, the, and the dead will be judged based upon what was written in the books. That's Revelation chapter 20. So God does a lot of writing, and he does a lot of remembering. The scroll of remembrance. Uh, that's... Um, chapter 20... Um, uh, verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what was done, what they had done as recorded in the books. Well, there's a lot of books, right? I hope he's... Well, in this instance, what is he remembering? Uh, well, he... 
he, he's talking about being judged according to what they had done is recorded in the books. So this is the evil dead. All right? In, in Revelation chapter 20. And he's, he's recording their acts. He's recording their behaviors, all that was said, all that was done. And the idea is this. In God's mind, nothing is forgotten. It says, it says in, in uh, uh, a very chilling uh, thought in, in Matthew chapter 12, that man shall give account for every careless word that comes out of his mouth. Every careless word he'll have to give an account for. Every careless word. So God takes an accounting, and he takes accounting of all that evil. And he also takes an accounting of the good things. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 6. All right? Hebrews chapter 6, an accounting of the good things. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, I think. Um, Yeah, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. It says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Okay. Even, even a cup of cold water, Jesus said, giving, given in the name of the Lord. The Lord's going to remember a cup of cold water that you gave. All of it's going to be remembered. None of it's forgotten. And, and for those who have been saved, we know that, that our, our sins have been covered because it says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. They've been scrubbed from the record. They've been washed clean. And we're going to, uh, we don't have to give an account for our sins when we stand before God. But for those who don't have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon them, the whole record is going to be revealed. That's going to be an awful day of reckoning. Every careless word, every evil deed, every thought raised up against the knowledge of God, everything is going to be exposed and open. And people are going to be mouths open, without a word. They're just going to be gaping as they listen to their fate. It's... it's the, the, the uh, evidence will be revealed that they are sinners. And uh, uh, that's, that's an awful day to consider. Fortunately, those who know the Lord Jesus don't have to be afraid of that day because the Lord took the judgment for us on the cross. But we do have a record of, of good. And I think that this is what it is in Malachi chapter uh, uh, three, uh, 3, verse 16. I think this is God giving... a, a, a a record of the good things that these people have done. He's mindful. He's mindful of the fact that they didn't complain, but they were thankful. He's mindful of the fact that they feared the Lord and honored his name. What does it mean to honor the name of the Lord? It says that in verse 16. They worshipped his name. You know, we're, we're meant to do things in the name of the Lord. Giving honor 
Yeah, yeah. And dedicating our service to the name of the Lord. Doing everything in his name. It's for you, Lord. It's to, it's to, it's to glorify God. It's to give honor to the name of the Lord that we serve him. And uh, what about uh, this first thought in, in verse 16? Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. What does that mean? How does that fit in? I, I, I think that bears a little bit of thinking. How does it fit in with, uh, with what's being said? Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Yes. Yeah. Now, I think it shows some discernment on their part that they were obviously aware of what was happening around them. And to me, when I see that, it's like they one said to the other, um, you know, this, this isn't right what's going on. And, and, and they sort of gathered around those people that were like minded and discussed it. It doesn't say they did anything about it. Except that perhaps they they prayed and, and um, I mean they, they talked with each other, then they listened and they and they heard what the Lord was saying. Yeah. So they were they were encouraging one another. The, the, it, it, the implication is that there were positive things going on when they talked with one another. They were encouraging one another, they were honoring the name of the Lord, they were worshiping together. Uh, their, their, their congregation was not characterized by gossip, by complaining, and by grumbling. They were also recognizing all that the Lord had done over the century. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a contrast that's going on here. Here's a bunch of people over here. If they got together, all they would do is grumble and complain. Bad mouth God. What's the use? What's the use of serving him? What's the use of, of uh, uh, anything we do? Because obviously God's not going to bless us, so we're going home. All right? We're not going to do it anymore. And these people were faithfully encouraging one another in the Lord, and they were, they were worshiping, and it says the Lord listened and heard and wrote a scroll of remembrance for them. God's going to remember your good deeds. He's going to write it down. Every single day, there's writing going on in heaven, and, and uh, God is, will, will never forget whatever you've done for him. And then in verse 17, it says, They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. So not only does he write a scroll of remembrance, he remembers their good deeds, he remembers their, their honor of him. What else does it say he's going to do in verse 17? What, what, does it, what, is, what is he saying? It says, they'll be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Welcome to 
absolutely. That's it. He's talking about a coming day. Uh, and he's talking about uh, bringing his loved ones home to glory. And he's expressing the desire in his heart to have them with him because he regards them as sons. sons. He regards them as my treasured possession. Yeah, his love for them. That's right. Yeah. What are your favorite what are your favorite verses? Do you have any verses that remind you of God's love for you? Because he does love us. And it's good to have a verse or two in your heart and in your mind to go back to whenever you're tempted to think, oh man, I'm going to start complaining here. <laughs> Do you have any good verses that tell you that God treasures you? Good verse. Can you tell me what it means? Or, or what, give me the idea of it. Okay, that's Zephaniah 3.17. All right. Psalm 136. He's saying, identifies as the creation, every verse that's in this loving word forever. And it goes on to 26 verses. Now I don't have that memorized. Okay, so, so I'm 136. Any, anybody else? Anybody got a favorite verse that reminds you of God's love for you and how much he treasures you and values you? So important to keep this in mind, you see, because this protects us from complaining. John 3.16. Okay. John 3.16. I like using that one because it seems to be so familiar even with people who are not familiar with God's work because of that football player that jumped down on his knee. Years ago, I can tell you what you need to hear that one. Just speak it up a little bit more. The football player that sent down on his knee. Yeah. And there was a banner in the stadium saying John 3.16. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. I like uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 3 the Lord says I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore with the cords of love I have drawn you first John chapter first John chapter 4 First uh, John chapter five, verse twenty. <laughs> All right. First uh, John 19, verse 19, 19. Chapter, 4, 19. chapter close, but no cigar, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> right. See, now you see. Hide those verses in your heart. They'll keep you from grumbling and complaining. See. Beautiful, beautiful. Such a positive verse, you see. See, keep those thoughts in mind because they save us. You see, one of the, one of the things that the, that, that the uh, uh, Jews at the time, the priests, forgot was how much God loved them. That's, that's the opening salvo. That's the opening problem in Malachi. They'd forgotten that God loved them and counted them as precious. 
So we cannot afford to forget that God loves us and counts us as precious. And then we go on to, to, uh, uh, to verse 18, and it says, And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. What do you think he's saying here? You will again see the distinction. What, what is this distinction? Good, yeah. Yeah. So what is he telling them? What is he telling them? You will again see the distinction. What is he saying to them? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What he's saying is this. Listen, folks, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious in this day. You will see the distinction very clearly because not only will I have it in my heart to bless the people who love me, it will be revealed. My love for them will be revealed and my disdain for those who hate me will be revealed. It's, the day is going to reveal it. So it's going to be obvious. Those who are blessed and those who are cursed. And then he goes on to, to, at the chapter 4, verse 1 to 3 to explain this obvious, this obvious settling of things that God does. Somebody read verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. So what is the, the day that he's talking about? This is the third coming. The third coming? Oh, what do you mean by the third coming, Tamara? Okay. So you're, you're distinguishing that the rapture, the, the, the coming of Christ to receive his people to, in, the, in the air to be forever with the Lord as, as, as the second appearing of, of the Lord. Yes. And that's a secret appearing because he doesn't appear to the world. He appears to only to his loved ones. And he doesn't come back to earth at that point. He comes to the clouds and, and we're caught away. So classically, there are two comings. And, and you're, you're delineating that third one. But uh, uh, classically, there's two comings. The first coming of Christ, the one that we celebrate at Christmas when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's his first coming. The second coming is when he comes back to judge. 
judge. And that's what it, it we, we get this all the way through the Old Testament prophets. But here it is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, uh, I, I send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. And verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He's going to purge. So it's, it's going to be tough stuff when the Lord comes again. Because he's, he came the first time, meek and mild. He came the first time as a baby in Bethlehem. He did not come to judge the world, but to save it, as it says in John chapter 3. He came the first time to save. He's coming the second time to judge. When he comes, he's not a baby anymore, right? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, the exalted ruler of the universe, leader of the forces of heaven. He's, he's uh, uh, El Shaddai, the almighty one. He's coming again. And what happens to the enemies of the Lord, the arrogant and the evildoers? What, that's right. What are some of the adjectives? What are some of the adjectives? It says in, in, in verse 1, what, what's going to happen to them? They will be burned. They will be stubble. There will be no life left. He's going to torch both root and branch. Nothing left. There's going to be a complete decimation. And so you're going to be able to see the difference between God's, God's attitude to the righteous and God's attitude to the wicked because the day is going to reveal it. He's going to bring judgment upon the wicked and he's going to bring blessing upon the good. So what are the, what are the metaphors here of blessing in verse 2? Frolicking, all right, just like uh, yeah, just like the animals that have been released into the spring uh, uh, grass. They're just going to frolic because they've been they've been in the barn for uh, for the winter, and now they're they're released from the stall and they're going to frolic in the new grass. That's right. What about the idea of the sun? What 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 is that all about? Well, it's S-U-N, all right? It's not, it's not the Son of God, but it's a metaphor of the Son of God, right? It's a picture of the Son of God. So he's pictured as what? Glorified. The, the glory. I didn't hear it. Glory. His glory, yeah, what, what's the picture? The rising sun. Have you, absolutely. Have you ever endured a dark night? Have you ever endured a dark night where you were cold and miserable and sitting in the inky blackness somewhere? I've done a few of those out in the road in Zambia when we were, we were stuck and we, we had to spend a dark night in, a, in, a, in the vehicle. And it wasn't cold, fortunately, because it was warm, but there were teetsy flies all around us. So we had to keep the windows shut. <laughs> and and uh, 
uh, there we were sitting in the, in the, uh, on the forest road waiting to be rescued. And uh, on another occasion, we got out and we built a little campfire by the side of the road and there was no traffic coming, so we just sat there for the night. Waiting for what? Waiting for the sun. Waiting for the sun. So Jesus is going to rise like the sun. And we're going to be blessed with all the rays that flow from heaven. See, just like the, the warm sun warming up a, a cold day. It's a beautiful picture. There's a similar picture in Luke chapter 1, uh, in, a, in, a, in a prayer here in Luke chapter 1. Uh, verse 78 and 79, it, he says, this is Zachariah's song, and he says, uh, when, he, when he appears, uh, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Beautiful, beautiful metaphor of Christ's appearing, just like the sunrise. So it's going to be blessed for us. And as Tamara said, it's, it's going to be a glorious day uh, when, we, when the Lord comes back again. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be rejoicing and it's going to be sunshine. All right, let's, any other thoughts on that? We're coming to the last three verses, all right? The last three verses. And remember... These are the last three verses of the Old Testament. So this is the last three verses of the Old Testament. So I want you to be thinking big here, all right? God is, God is going to be silent for 400 years after Malachi finishes these, these words. I'm not going to say a thing. No more prophets for 400 years until John the Baptist comes. Malachi ends it. John the Baptist begins it in the New Testament. 400 years uh, uh, of silence from God. So what's the last, what are the last things he says? Before he's silent for 400 years. These are significant words. So let's see if they, these words rise to the occasion. What's verse 4 saying? Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. So what's he asking for them to do here? Remember my commandments. Remember my words. Keep them in mind. God has spoken, and in those silent years, 400 years, I'm not going to speak. What I want you to do is go back and remember what I said to you before. And, and he uses Moses, because what did Moses write? He wrote the commandments, but the book of the law. How many books did Moses write? Five books, the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right? And so Moses was the giver of the law. He was the one who, who wrote the foundation for, for the, the, the Genesis stories. Where would we be without Moses' writings, you see? He wrote about the Exodus and the children of Israel coming out and, and going into the promised land. He wrote about the, 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 the temple in Leviticus. He wrote about 
the trying of God trying the people in numbers, and then he wrote about the second, the Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law before they went back into the promised land. He, he gave them the law again in Deuteronomy. Uh, wonderful, wonderful books, you see. And God is saying, don't you forget them. Don't you forget those laws. And that's an encouragement for us today. Don't forget the word of God. Keep it ever before you. Keep studying the word of God. Be mindful of it. Even in those days when I don't seem to be talking, I have already spoken. Remember my words. And then he goes on in verse 5 and 6. He says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's the last two verses. And he says, not only look back to the law and remember what I've already told you, but look forward. Because I will. In other words, something's going to do in the future. I will send you the prophet Elijah. Well, what's funny about this? Because when did Elijah live? He lived prior to Christ, back in the Old Testament. All right? All right? You read about him in, in uh, uh, I think it's 1 Kings. Uh, you read about Elijah back in the in the Old Testament. Now he's saying, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Now there's two answers to this riddle. That he's going to send the prophet Elijah. And for sake of time, I'm just going to be very direct and tell you what the... I'll give you the answers, okay? There's a partial fulfillment of the coming of Elijah in the life of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist fulfilled the spirit of Elijah. Because he came to restore the hearts of the children to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and to, to restore. We were talking about John the Baptist in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, or verse 1, uh, the, the messenger of the covenant, and how he comes to restore. So that was like the ministry of Elijah, who restored the people to God. And uh, there's an interesting verse in Luke chapter, if someone can read it, in Luke chapter 1. Verse 17, this is concerning the angel talking about, the angel appearing to, to uh, Elizabeth and saying, uh, sorry, appeared to Zechariah, the son of, the father of John the Baptist, and told him the ministry of John the Baptist. Verse 17 of Luke 1. Okay. Same verse, same, look at, look at Malachi chapter 3. See, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. So the angel here takes Malachi the, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, and he applies it to the ministry of John the Baptist. Who was that again? Luke chapter 1, verse 16, 17. Okay. So a partial fulfillment, because John the Baptist certainly wasn't the, the, uh, the reappearing of Elijah. He wasn't Elijah. He was John the Baptist. But it says here, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he's going to send the prophet Elijah. So we wonder, is there a full 
fulfillment? Is there complete fulfillment of this prophecy? And there are many who believe that, that, that Elijah will literally come back to this world. God's going to send him back. And that we find in Revelation chapter 11. All right. And this is what I believe. The complete fulfillment of this verse is going to happen in the future in Revelation chapter 11 because here we read of two witnesses who stand for God and they're given power for, for three and a half years to defend God's name in the middle of the tribulation period. And uh, they, they, they try to kill them. The, the enemies of God try to kill these two witnesses who are in Jerusalem, but they can't kill them. And they keep on talking and they keep on doing miracles. And I want you to notice in, in Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 5, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from heaven, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. And this is how anyone who wants to harm them will die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it does not rain during the time they are prophesied. So who did a miracle of shutting up the rain for three and a half years? That was Elijah. And so this witness is going to do the same miracle in the future that Elijah did in the past. Interesting. Interesting. And he's paired with another guy, these two witnesses. And I believe this. I believe Moses is the other witness. Now, I'm just going to tell you that that's a conjecture, okay, because I can't prove it definitively. But notice what this other witness does. It says in verse, it says in verse uh, 6, they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they, as, as they want. So who did that kind of miracle? That was... I didn't hear you. God through, God through Moses. Thank you. It was Moses. So I believe that, that the last two people mentioned in the, in, in the book of Malachi, Moses and Elijah, are coming back again. Talk about an important verse. Now, when Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were two men who appeared with him. Who were they? Say it out. Moses and Elijah, same two men, all right? Same two men. So these two men are paired together several times in the book. At the end of Malachi, in the Mount of Transfiguration, and in, in, in Revelation chapter 11, I believe they're the two witnesses. So that's kind of significant, all right? But I want to leave you with one thing, one last thing. What's the last verse in Malachi? What's the last word the last word in Malachi. Curse. All who are under the law will fall to the curse. That's the last word in the Old Testament. Boy, we need help. We're under a curse. What's the last word in the New Testament? Look at it. Revelation chapter 21. The last verse in the New Testament. The last verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. It's grace. Grace. There's a curse. 
there's a blessing. And what comes in between? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus comes and he takes the curse and he makes it into a blessing. See, that's Old Testament, under the law, under the curse. New Testament, Jesus comes, gives us grace, and we're blessed. That's how Malachi ends. Isn't that beautiful? Our time is gone. Any other comments on that? I, I know I rushed through that last little bit. Is it, is it, is it clear about, uh, uh, about uh, uh, Elijah and Moses? And I have to say there's differences of opinion there, so I'm not saying that that's, that, that's just my thought. Okay, that, that, That's the, the, the fulfillment of that prophecy, I believe. Any other thoughts before we leave? Malachi. By the way, prepare for the Book of Romans. Get your get those little uh, that page out and just fill in some of those very simple uh, little questions. But if you go through those questions, you'll be up to date, and, and uh, we'll able we'll be able to have an informed conversation next week when we start the Book of Romans.